The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here coming to you after four straight wins. When you heard us last, you heard us previewing that game against the Chicago Bulls. The Clippers went on to win by three, 130 to 127. A five-point win over New Orleans. A 38-point win over Sacramento. And then a 33-point win over Indiana yesterday. So the Clippers are looking good. We're going to talk Clippers basketball with Sabrina Merchant, who does a great job with SB Nation. She'll talk to us about the Clippers PG MVP, possibly talk about the emergence of Luke Kennard of late, talk about the role that guys like Nick Batum are playing on the roster. So a good conversation coming up with Sabrina. Before we get there, though, folks, you've heard me talk about all this great stuff that we've got going on at Hoop Ball, right? You know what I'm talking about. You go to hoop-ball.com and you're going to get some f- fantastic stuff, including the Fantasy Pass. Fantasy draft season's over. You, Brewski, 150 your way to a hell of a team. The season has just begun. The Fantasy Pass, still the best deal in the industry at just $4.99 per month. And now that we're in the regular season, there is zero commitment. Sign up for one month for 5 bucks. If you don't like it, go ahead. You can cancel. But... We know you'll love it. It's always nice to have that option, though. The Fantasy Pass is everything you'll need to dominate all year. Updating projections, new fantasy appraiser tools, schedule and streaming charts, pickups, drops. You know we've got everything, including our newest and coolest feature, the HoopBall Discord server. It's just like Slack. You can all hang out with the HoopBall pros around the clock. Get one-on-one help with your team. So please do check it out. Head to hoop-ball.com. Click on the Fantasy Pass ad just below the main media wall. And while we're speaking of fantasy, we got to pause the show to talk about the Bruise Letter. Yes, free stuff. Everyone loves free stuff. What is the stuff? The Bruise Letter is back. Oh, yes, back and fresh for the 2020-2021 NBA season. Our founder, Aaron Bruski, does a great job where he writes an email newsletter. You can't find it anywhere else. It's not going to be on social. It's not going to be on the website. It's going only to your inbox. How do you sign up? bit.ly b-i-t-l-y slash bruise letter 2021 that's b-i-t-l-y slash bruise letter 2021 sign up in 10 seconds Aaron Bruski, straight to your inbox enjoy all right so now we've talked fantasy hoops I know we want to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers and I gotta tell you guys before we get to the conversation with Sabrina I'm really happy with where this team is really elated no Lou Williams, no Serge Ibaka, and to go and to beat an Indiana team that, granted, did not have Miles Turner, but to beat them by 33 points is really a cause for celebration. And why do I say that? I love the way this team is playing under Ty Lue. There is something different in the air with this team this season than last year. It seems like there are adjustments being made there are guys enjoying playing basketball. There's a point to prove with this team, very much like the team a couple of years ago that was kind of an underdog. This team is not an underdog, but they're not being treated like a favorite like the Los Angeles Lakers, and they think they should be there. 
And right now, they are playing like they should be there. There is no question about it. When you look at this Clippers team, last year they were anointed as the king, even though they hadn't done anything. They got Kawhi Leonard, they got Paul George. There was a lot of talk about the chemistry with this team. Now, this team seems to be enjoying playing basketball together. Everybody's got a role, whether it's Marcus Morris coming off the bench, whether it's a guy like Zoo that's only playing 15 minutes and not complaining about it, whether it's a guy like Nick Batum that can come in and become that veteran leader and not turn over the basketball in 25 minutes and just do the dirty things that nobody else wants to do. Really happy with where this Clippers team. Why don't we find out what Sabrina thinks about this Clippers team? Let's go ahead. Here's our conversation with Sabrina Merchant. All right. Happy to have Sabrina back on. Great to have her for the second time on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Sabrina, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. I Thanks. guess I did okay the first time. Hey, you did. You did indeed. And before we even get into anything Clippers, there is something that I need to bring up with you. And I've been wanting to bring up now for a little while. We need to talk about Jeopardy. Because <laughs> you were on Jeopardy. You got a chance to be on recently. I mm-hmm. want to hear about what that was like and what your favorite memory will be of meeting Alex Trebek. Yeah, so it was pretty surreal. I have been trying to get on Jeopardy for essentially my entire adult life. So uh, uh, pretty much since I was a senior in high school. And I auditioned in person in February of 2020. So before any of the pandemic had really hit, you know, I got to do the the regular audition that everybody gets to do at like a hotel room in Culver's. It's actually, uh, it's a hotel that's right across the street from the Clippers practice facility. So it was like a very easy day for me to just go back from one to the other. Um, and I had completely forgotten about it by the time they called and asked if I was still available to come on the show, because obviously like the world had shut down and I just assumed that they weren't taping anymore. Um, but I got a call at the end of July, you know, um, (laughs) the, the lady Lori, she said like, hi, this is, uh, you know, Lori from Jeopardy. And I was like, Okay. I was <laughs> uh, just like, you know, is this still Sabrina? Do you still have the same address? Are you still interested in coming on the show? And I was like, yeah, but is the show still happening? <laughs> um, and it's funny because a lot of my initial excitement was sort of uh, dimmed by the fact that, like, you know, they had to give me all of these COVID protocols to go through in order to come on the show, right? Like, I had to take a test. I had to, um, you know, the, the way that everything was taped was so different because you weren't allowed to bring any guests into the studio and like you had to wear a mask all day. And it was very hard to interact with any of the contestants because everyone was like even more than six feet apart during the day. And like, we didn't even get to watch the other Jeopardy games being taped. We had to sit in the wheel of fortune studio while it was happening. So it was, it was so different than what I imagined it was going to be when I, you know, dreamed about being on Jeopardy all of these years ago, because I've, I've watched Jeopardy be taped before. Like I live in LA, I've, I've done this thing, you know, I've, you know, scouted the groundwork for this before, but, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just really glad that it got to happen, even though it was during the COVID time, because like you said, like I got to tape with Alex Trebek, which was honestly like something I've literally looked forward to for at least 20 some years. And even though I didn't get to, you know, shake his hand or stand next to him where everybody gets that, like, you know, uh, that, that Jeopardy photo that you see all the contestants have where they're, you know, yeah, they have the picture. arm around yeah. them, right? Like that, that classic picture. I didn't get to have that one. Like there was a significant amount of distance between the two of us, but he, you know, he still talked to me. He still uh, made some weird uh, references about the story that I, I chose to share, you know, during that little interview. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he I didn't I didn't win, but he did come up afterwards and say that like it was nice to see that there was a time during the game when all of us had our moment to do really well, and that was that was just incredible to hear from Trebek. And I also missed one answer that got him to say who is the baby, which has been used as like this <laughs> wonderful little reference on Twitter for the last few months. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible to think about. Like, uh, my episode was actually um, almost preempted by Game Five of the NBA Finals. So, you know, Lakers really screwed that one up by just not sweeping the Heat in the first place. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Um, I'm just, I'm really glad that I got to have that experience, even if it was different than what I had originally anticipated, because ultimately, like, I just wanted to be on Jeopardy with Alex Trebek and mm. I got that. Yeah. And you really, I mean, you got in right underneath, obviously. I mean, between COVID, what a weird sequence of events you go on with COVID. Cause I know they're trying to get as many local people as possible. And then of course, Alex passes away. I mean, you got, you got in right before he passed away and you got a chance to have that experience with Alex it's just tremendous. That's awesome. I wanted to hear about how you got on there and what it was like. And so that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you ever have like, you know, 30 more minutes to talk about it, I have a lot more to go through, but that's just, you know, my, uh, my at the surface spiel of what being on Jeopardy was like during COVID. You know what? We will definitely do that. I, I think during the off season, that is absolutely going to be a podcast as we talk about Jeopardy and we'll, we'll, uh, go through everything with extreme details because we only have that 30 minutes with you. And as much as I want to talk about Jeopardy, because frankly, I I enjoy watching Jeopardy with my wife. It's really fun. And I got a chance to go to a taping myself when they taped at the Galen center for the uh, college Jeopardy when I was Ah, at USC. So that was really fun. So we'll, we'll talk about it, but we got to talk Clippers basketball and, and a team that is suddenly figuring itself out. They've had their ups and downs between getting, uh, their butts handed them by Dallas and being the Lakers, I mean, now you talk about a low and then a high, and now they've reeled off four straight wins. It's impressive to see where they're at right now, Sabrina. What are your thoughts on, just in general, where this team is and the possibility of this being the team that finally gets to the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean, finally gets to the Western Conference Finals. What a what a topic. I mean, mm-hmm. when the Clippers put together this roster during the offseason, I immediately thought this was a better team than the 2019-20 team just because it made more sense in terms of what their playoff rotation was going to be and who the two-way guys that could surround Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were. Mm -hmm. Like you always had Patrick Beverly, but beyond that, it didn't seem like there was anyone Doc Rivers really trusted who could produce on both ends of the floor. And now you immediately had that with Serge Ibaka, right? That was number one. And then Nick Batum has just sort of come out of nowhere to be that that other guy who can stay on the court with them no matter the situation and be counted on to just drain corner threes all the time and make the extra pass. And I'd be lying if I said that was coming, but I mean, I assumed Marcus Morris would be able to fill that role. So it's not like I thought the Clippers were going to be hurting at that forward spot. So it's not a surprise to me that the Clippers have, you know, done this well in terms of their record and they've looked so devastating on offense just because we saw the talent that they had, and we know that Ty Lue is a guy who can maximize offensive personnel. Like, that was his calling card when he was in Cleveland. I mean, you think about just those series that they had against the Raptors, where they would just run the same LeBron, Chaining Fry, high screen and roll every single possession down the court and just force the Raptors to adjust, and they couldn't. Like, it's it's really impressive to see them figure out, like, what optimizes Kawhi and Paul George and 
even though like obviously it's it's difficult to perform at like that high of a level in the NBA. Like they have what a, a six point five point differential, I think, Brooklyn in the glass. Like it's it's a very good team. It's just it sh- it doesn't come as a surprise because we knew that they had this level of talent. Um where I am a little surprised is how blah they have been defensively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and blah might even be like a little charitable considering they rank like in the bottom third basically everywhere you look. Uh because they have, you know, arguably as much defensive talent as they do offensive talent, maybe a little bit less, you know, because like Lou Williams, Lou Canardo, obviously not defensive players. Yeah. But I am a little perplexed at how indifferent they look on the defensive end sometimes. And like maybe it's just, okay, Ty Lue has decided we're going to focus on the offense first and then the defense will come later. Or, you know, we know we're going to be good at defense, so let's make sure we have this other end of the floor tied up. But I expect them to be better there. I'm not concerned or anything. I'm just, it's interesting that they haven't seemed to prioritize that end of the floor because when they try, like they can do very well on offense. Like, like you mentioned, you know, that opening game against the Lakers, the Lakers have never done well against the Clippers offensively in like this Kawhi PG era. So they can clearly turn it on when they want to. It just seems like they've never wanted to turn it on other than like isolated third quarters over the last week. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I hadn't really thought as much about the defense recently. And it's funny you bring that up because a lot of the talk really is on Batum. It's on PG's MVP season. It's on Ibaka being that stretch four or stretch five rather. It's on a guy like Kennard who has suddenly found his stroke, but no one really talks about the defense. And I think partly it's because of what you said is that they have these guys in George and Kawhi and Beverly that can all defend. And then you look at Marcus Morris, who will be able to switch on several different guys. They've got the defense in place, but it's just a matter of executing it. So the one thing that's interesting is that Ty Lue came out and he said, we're going to do these 10 game stretches where we're going to test things out. And one of them was with Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams and Kennard. And he said, you know what? This isn't working. So he scrapped it. So you wonder if there's going to be a 10 game stretch, maybe this season, where he focuses more on the defense, because it does seem like Ty Lue, I mean, God bless Doc Rivers, but Ty Lue just really seems like he knows what he's doing when it comes to making adjustments and figuring out this team and what works and what doesn't work. Seemed like last Mm -hmm. year was a lot of the same, while this year is a lot of different things. We're seeing the Clippers obviously become a much better three-point shooting team. They're getting better looks. They're using PG better. It's fun to see. It really is, Sabrina. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that I've always liked about Ty Lue is that he isn't afraid of just doing the same thing over and over again as long as the team can't figure out how to stop it. You know, like a lot of coaches, they like to be a little bit more democratic and get everybody involved and like we're not going to just do the same thing over and over again because it's boring. And Ty's like, no, if something works, why go away from it? Mm -hmm. Uh, And you saw that a lot in his postseason career. And it's just it's like what you said earlier, you know, that he can make adjustments when necessary, but also that he's not going to deviate from what works. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as long as you have something that's working, then why change? And now you have got a team that I said coming into this stretch, I think it was a 15 game stretch. I wanted to see them go to 11 and four at worst before they took on Brooklyn on February 2nd, because they've got a lot of easy games coming up. Um, and of course, they obviously have played Chicago, New Orleans, Sacramento, Indiana in the last four, and they've won all four of them. They split against Golden State, which is a little bit disappointing. But winning now five of their last six and figuring things out, I think there's a lot of optimism around this team. And it's funny because I saw on Twitter today, Tomer brought it up, and it's an interesting point. 
all everybody wants to talk about is the chemistry with this team. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to talk about this team actually doing well. I mean, the Clippers have lost four games this season. Four to Utah, Phoenix, or rather Utah, San Antonio, Golden State, and Dallas. That's it. I mean, this team is really good, and nobody's really talking about it because all they want to do is talk about PG and chemistry while PG is having another MVP season. It's wild. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is just because the, you know, people were kind of fooled last year, you know, where the Clippers admittedly were not as good as some of the other contenders during the regular season last year. But people kept giving them the benefit of the doubt because, like, oh, you know, they have Kawhi Leonard and they have Paul George and they have all of this talent and they're going to figure it out. It's just a matter of time. Like, they just need some time to be able to play together and work through things. And then we saw what happened at the end of the season, right? Like, it never really came together as we assumed it would. So I wonder if this is sort of like a an overcorrection in terms of the media reaction because most of the time last year, like, we were just okay saying, like, yeah, the Clippers don't look great, but it'll come. But now they already look so great, but it's like, yeah, but can they do it when it really counts? You know, it's just because of the way last season ended, there's just this natural skepticism of, like, oh, can we count on this regular season stretch to be indicative of what the Clippers are going to be, you know? Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think really well said because last year you look at the Clippers and they seemed entitled as if they deserved to be talked about as possibly the second best team in the West, if not the best team in the West next to the Lakers. And they Mm -hmm. hadn't earned that spot. And now you got to go out and win. And they really are doing that. And I think they're starting to slowly silence the haters, but nonetheless, you got to keep winning and you have games against Sacramento, two against Oklahoma city, Atlanta, Miami, Orlando, New York, before that Brooklyn game. And you have a chance to really reel off another six wins probably in your next seven. I mean, that would be some time. I mean, if you do that, then you would think people will start talking about this team. But let's talk about last night because Luke Kennard all of a sudden has become a guy that, I mean, I was very worried about him, Sabrina. I I really Mm -hmm. was. I didn't love the contract. I didn't think it made sense. I didn't know who they were bidding against or they needed to offer him as much as they did. I'm not sure that $16 million a year for a guy that hadn't played in a long time made a lot of sense. Uh, But he said after the game that he he hadn't played in a while. I mean, he said, it's been a while since I played a game. Not going to make excuses. That was the exact quote when I was watching. And now he's 63% from three in his last 11. The Clippers now got 20 points from him and five threes. They got to be happy now with Kennard, right? I mean, this Kennard-Shamit deal seems like it's a blowout in favor of the Clippers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Kennard had more potential when he was drafted compared to when Shamit was, you know, in 2018. And we're sort of seeing that be realized just because Kennard has more on-ball skills than Shamit did. Um I honestly thought when the Clippers got Kennard that it was a harbinger of bad things to come for Lou Williams, but I'm glad that Ty Lue has figured out a way to work both of them in so that they they don't necessarily always play with one another. They're just sort of complementing the stars when each of them is on the court, and I think that's a really good way of using them. It's funny, just after all these years of Doc Rivers, I've become conditioned to thinking of like starting units and bench units, and it doesn't have to be like that, right? <laughs> you, know, you can mix and match players. That's not a problem. You can have Kawhi and PG be sitting on the bench at separate times. Yeah, I know. What a, what a concept. 
Uh, but yeah, Luke, you know, um, I was never too concerned about it just because like this is a different level than he's had to play in the NBA, you know, like all due respect to the Pistons, like Luke Kennard hasn't played a meaningful basketball game in the NBA in a very long time. Like, yeah, they made the playoffs once, but they got resoundingly swept by the Bucks. Blake Griffin, like didn't even play in the series. So there was no pressure whatsoever on them. I mean, this is, this is high stakes. He has not been in this situation since he was in college, right? Like, and that's, that's an adjustment, whether he wants to admit it or not. Like there's a difference between playing for the Detroit Pistons and playing for the Clippers. And I am not surprised that it took him some time to get on board with it. And it's going to be even more of an adjustment, I think, you know, as they get into him more and more on the defensive end. Like, you've already seen some plays where PG or Kawhi is calling him out for, like, not making the proper rotation. And I'm glad they're doing that because he has to learn, right? Like, he's a long-term commitment for this team. And he needs to be better for them to be able to count on him, you know, like, in closing time stretches. So it's funny, though, like, even while we were complaining that Luke wasn't playing well to start the season, he was still shooting, what, 40% from three, <laughs> like, just casual, you know, 40% while everything else was going poorly. It's but funny. It really is, because that's, that's a guy. That's talent he has, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's a guy that can go out there and make seven or eight threes. I mean, there are games with Detroit where he would go bonkers and hit between five to eight threes. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that's Kennard. I mean, that that's his game. He's going to go and shoot threes. And he had to be more the guy in Detroit than he did, than he does here. And He's got to play a supplemental role, and he's doing that. I mean, that's what the Clippers have needed, and you brought it up in the beginning, and I've talked about in this podcast before, that I thought that this team got better by losing guys like Trez and improving with Ibaka, obviously, losing Shamit, bringing in Kennard, bringing in a guy like Batum. I was not expecting him to do this well, just like you. I mean, this is really coming out of nowhere, I think, for everybody, but they've really become a team where you may look and say, oh, wait, the team that had Lou and Trez, they were better because their bench was better and they may have been deeper. But as we saw in the playoffs, that doesn't matter. It's who you can who can you rely on for long stretches in the postseason in a given game. And the Clippers could not rely on a guy like Trez. And even with Zoo taking what seems like a step back this season, and I think that he does have room to grow for sure, and I think he will, they still are still winning games. So that's got to be encouraging that you may have lost some guys, but you have the pieces in place. And I think that's the moral of the story here is that they have the guys that play roles. The Lakers last year had guys like Caruso, KCP. They knew their role. I think the Clippers have the same thing here. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think, you know, there might be nights in the regular season where like, let's say Kawhi is sitting or Paul George is sitting and you sort of see how there is, you know, like the effect of having less depth during the regular season. Like I think that game against San Antonio when Paul George sat out was a classic example where the Clippers just didn't have enough gas to get it done. But like that's a regular season game. I don't think it's that big of a deal that, oh, you know, we can't count on Lou and Trez anymore to bring us home during a random November game. Like that's not a big deal. The point is that the rotation makes more sense for a playoff series, right? And so it's okay that like – Maybe there are some games where like Patrick Patterson or Reggie Jackson is going to have to play more minutes than usual, you know, more than you would hope for a team that's going to be at least the second seed in the Western Conference, right? But those are just like the lumps you have to take in terms of the the long the long game, right? Yeah, exactly. And the Clippers got off easy yesterday with no Miles Turner for sure. I mean, without him, the Pacers are a very different team. He provides a different defensive presence, and of course. You look at the Clippers and what they do yesterday, they shot 55% and 
and damn near 50% from three. I mean, they're not going to go 19 of 39 from three every game. But, but they've been close. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I wanted to bring up is that you look at PG and he's 50, 50, 90 this year. I mean, it's insane how well he has done. But the one thing I want to focus on, Sabrina, is the three-point shooting. And this is a team that has so many different guys that can get it done. You look at yesterday, Batum, Kawhi, Pat, Paul George, Patrick Patterson, Marcus Morris, and Kennard. All of them hit threes. I mean, that's got to be something that makes opponents fear the Clippers, that they had seven different guys that hit a three yesterday. Yeah, and I'm going to bring this back to, you know, Ty Lue's Cleveland teams again because that was kind of the first time we really saw – I'm not going to say the first time because Miami, they shot a lot of threes too, but in Cleveland it seemed like they supercharged, you know, like LeBron plus three-point shooters around him and just look at all of the open looks these guys can get when there is a central hub creating looks for them, right? And that's just multiplied when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George – on the floor together and defenses have to account for both of them before getting home on the shooters, you know, like whether that's in the corner or on the wing and Tyloo's really leaned into it, right? Like they don't seem concerned at all that they're not scoring points in the paint because they get into the paint and then they just kick out and the defenses are so stretched that they have no hope to cover all of these shooters. So like, yeah, I mean, there are some limitations obviously in terms of like ball handling and, uh, playmaking maybe on different parts of this roster but like it doesn't really matter if you're going to let the stars control the ball most of the time and then just set the other guys like okay Reggie like all you need to do is shoot Luke if the other stuff isn't working well just shoot like Serge Nick Beverly like everybody on this roster I think is an above average three-point shooter other than Zubac and there's not a single other team in the NBA that can boast that like I I have a hard time thinking about like how you defend this Clippers team if everybody is healthy um so long as like they don't just go through one of their like unfortunately all too predictable ruts, but um, yeah, like the th- the three point shooting is not again it's not surprising like this is the type of team they put together like they brought in Ty Lue to direct this kind of offense, and it doesn't seem like unsustainable because this is the track record we've come to expect from these players. Yeah, and it's not like they were seven for ten, and that's I mean that's obviously not going to happen every single game. I mean individually. Probably the best one through was Kennard. He was five for eight. And you look at Marcus Morris, he was four of seven. And, and the one thing I'm really encouraged by, and it's only been a couple games, is Marcus Morris being a team player. I mean, he had the moment where he went to Ty Lu and he said, things are going well. Um, stick with Nick Batum in the starting lineup. And he's come off the bench and he still played 27 minutes yesterday. And he had 20 points and seven rebounds and shot seven of 11. But you got to be encouraged that, I mean, go back all the way to what we were talking about earlier with the chemistry. You have a guy in Marcus Morris who everyone thought in New York was just this massive scorer and he wasn't going to be a guy that would be a team player where there are enough basketballs to go around when he comes to the Clippers and he's fit in very well with this team. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there were like some complaints about how much money the Clippers gave him during the offseason. Like, like you mentioned earlier with Kennard, like it's like who were they bidding against, you know, or were there teams that were going to give Marcus Morris 64 million over four years? But in a sense, it's like it's like an investment, you know, because now Marcus Morris doesn't have to worry about his next contract. And it's like, OK, I can come off the bench. That's not a problem. Whereas he can say all he wants about like wanting what's best for the team. It's a lot harder to command that kind of money in free agency when you're coming off the bench than when you're starting. And 
this would have been a much harder choice for him to make last year going into free agency than it is now where his his future is secure. Um, so, I mean, that's the kind of thing like you pay for, right? Like it might be like, why are the Clippers playing a guy $60, $16 million a year who's not starting? Well, they're paying him that much because he does everything they need him to do. And now they've sort of like, I don't want to say they've bought like his team chemistry, but like they've, they've made an investment in their team chemistry and it's absolutely paying off. Because like you said, he's just he's doing whatever is necessary for the team. And if that means that he has to play bigger minutes, you know, when it's not working well for Nick Batum, he can do that. And he's also just totally fine sitting back and having a smaller role. Like I think Kawhi said it the other night, like just because he comes off the bench doesn't mean he played bench minutes. Like there will be games where he plays 30 to 35 minutes. And to have that type of flexibility within your rotation is just like, again, most teams are not built like this. Folks, we got to take a quick break. We got to talk about our friends over at my bookie. You've heard me talk about this before, right? Ever since I started this podcast, people are asking me for betting tips. They're asking who I've got. They're asking me where I'm betting. They're asking me, what do I think about the Clippers minus seven? What do I tell them? I tell them, you know what? I am going to bet at mybookie.ag. Where you bet is just as important as who you are betting on. That's why I tell people, to bet with my bookie. Their rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. So the only place I trust to handle my NBA-related bets. The one sportsbook guaranteed to get me the best lines for the Super Bowl for any big game. You know me. You know that I don't give out my stamp of approval easily. To earn it, you've got to be the best at what you do, and my bookie is the best sportsbook out there, period. It's simple. Sign up, enter the promo code HOOPBALL, and get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. That's hoopball. H O O P B A L L. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. If you know what games you want to bet on, go ahead. If you need some help, our guys at Hoopball Gaming do a tremendous job. Tremendous. I mean, unbelievable. You can go to the Hoopball Gaming Twitter account. You can go and read their articles on Hoopball. There is a podcast that you can listen to as well. So many different ways that you can get tips to help you win money because they want to win money just like you want to win money. Bet with the best and bet with my bookie. Yeah, and you look at Ibaka and he misses the game yesterday and you would think, oh, Zoo's probably going to play 25, 30 minutes easily. He only played 16. I mean, Marcus Morris has the ability to be that guy that can play backup center if you absolutely need it. And with Zoo, I mean, I don't know what's going on with him because Mm -hmm. you look at a game that they won yesterday by 33 and he was a minus six in that game. And, I mean, he had four fouls. Sure, he was three of three from the field. He had 6.6 rebounds and a block and a steal. So his minutes were okay in terms of his production. But the the talk on this podcast and all around Clippers Nation, obviously, has just been when the Clippers got rid of Trez, okay, here's going to be Zoo, and he's going to get the minutes that he deserves, and he's going to thrive in those minutes. That hasn't been the case. What, what do you think is different this year than last year with him? It's a good question. Um, I've been pretty pleased with Zoo defensively so far. I still think he's done an excellent job of manning the paint, you know, uh, preventing shots at the rim and altering ones that do get taken. He's never been like a, a volume rebounder, but the Clippers seem to rebound better when he's on the floor. Like he's one of those box out guys. So on that end of the floor, I don't really think there's been any, you know, issues with Zoo. Uh, in my opinion, it's just like we saw this issue sort of surface at the end of his first season with the Clippers where his hands just aren't like he's not catching everything cleanly, you know, and we learned at the end of that 2019 season that he'd had some broken fingers or something and he just sort of played through them. 
And I haven't heard anything about injury issues recently that would, you know, suggest a similar pattern here. But uh, yeah, he just, he developed such a nice pick and roll chemistry with Kawhi last year. And you'd think like, who is easier to play pick and roll with than Lou Williams. And there were a couple games where it looked like, oh yeah, this is going to be just fine. And then it sort of fell off again. Um, I wonder if he just, like, we like Zoo a lot, obviously, but he's never going to be the number one choice on offense, right? Like, Or even like the second choice, no matter what lineup he's in, right? Because if you're doing the staggering, then, well, Paul George is on the court with him, and obviously he's going to be handling the ball. Or Marcus Morris is on the court at the same time, and he's going to need to get some shots. So I just don't know that he's going to get the consistency that he needs to be completely comfortable on the offensive end. But what I love is that even though his box score numbers, like, they suck, he just keeps setting screens, right? Like, he keeps running the floor. He pulls, you know, the defense away by just running hard end-to-end. Like, he does a lot of things, I think, that make the offense hum because of his positioning that are not going to be reflected on the stat sheet. And it might be frustrating because it seems like he can do more, but I don't think the Clippers are suffering because of Zoo, right? Like there's some matchups that are going to work better for him and not like, that's fine. Um, but he still does a lot of like statless things. I think that the Clippers are benefiting from. Yeah. And I think the one thing with Zoo that's nice is that he can play 30 minutes. He can also play 15 minutes and you aren't locked in to a certain amount of minutes with basically everybody on this roster outside of probably PG and Kawhi is that you've so many different guys that you can put in and make a different puzzle with each. I mean, they're missing Lou Williams yesterday and still did extremely well. You have different guys that can fill different roles and that's got to be encouraging for this Clippers team that you're not relying on one guy every single night. You're not relying on Kawhi to do everything. You're not relying on PG to do everything. Those two guys obviously need to be, stars in order for the Clippers to get to the Western Conference Finals and then hopefully the NBA Finals. I mean, they have to be that 1A, 1B. That's Mm -hmm. always been a thing with PG where he can't be that number two. He's got to be the 1B, and he's showing this year that he can be that guy. But you also need the guys around him that can pick up those extra things. And for Zoo, sure, like you said, he may not be doing it with a 20-point, 10-rebound night. That's not what you need him for. I think more importantly with Zoo is – the plus minus is something that I want to watch just because defensively, are they getting it done? Are they giving up Are they giving up baskets while he's on the floor? Are they scoring while he's on the floor? And the one thing is that you have so many different things you can do with him. And I do think they have the ability to work with him. That's the one thing is that you can't have some patience with this team. And again, that's the benefit of this regular season. And the one thing that Doc did not do and Ty Lue is doing is that he's working with rotations and trying to figure out what works so that when he gets to the playoffs, he can go with what works. And, and that's that's got to be beneficial for the Clippers during the regular season and also during the postseason. Do you agree? I completely agree. I think you brought this up earlier where Ty Lue has sort of mentioned that, you know, he had 10 games of a sample, right, with that Luke, Lou, Reggie backcourt and decided, OK, we need to try something else. And it's it's good to hear that he's, you know, taking some time with each group and seeing like giving it time to breathe, right? And then moving on to the next thing. Whereas Doc, yeah, like the Clippers went through a lot of rotations last year, but none of it felt like it was because, oh, we want to try this out. It all felt motivated by who was available, right? Mm-hmm. Like they tried Lander Shaman in the starting lineup, but that was only because Paul George was hurt. And then the minute Paul George gets hurt, it's like, okay, well, now Landry's back in the 
bench. And then, you know, they tried Patrick Patterson in the starting lineup, but that was only because, you know, uh, Mo Harkless wasn't big enough. And like everything was felt reactive, whereas Ty Lue is being proactive in finding what works, what matchups work, you know, um, which rotations make sense for what particular opponents. Like, and I don't, I don't think it's like a fixed thing, right? Like there are going to be certain playoff series where the Clippers can get away with more zoo and there's going to be some where it doesn't make sense to play them as much, right? Like I don't think zoo is ever a good matchup against the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> I just don't think that's ever going to happen no matter who's on the floor for them. Whereas we saw last year against the Nuggets, like that's a really good team to have a Vita Zubac against. So it's just nice to see that he's being flexible, you know, like even in a game, like you said, where Serge Ibaka was out, it didn't make sense to play Zoo because they didn't have Miles Turner, right? So where is Zoo going to hide? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a brilliant point. If you had to, I'll leave you with this, and this will be the last thing we discuss since uh, both of us have to wrap to make this quick. Paul George, if you were voting for MVP today, where do you think he'd be? Uh, I'd probably go top three. Okay. Um, I like Embiid and Jokic quite a bit right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Jokic would be a little bit lower just because the team record isn't as good, but they've just been so phenomenal with him on the court that it's hard to fault him, you know, for the fact that like their offense is 23 points worse when he's, you know, on the bench. Um, but yeah, those two have just been so singularly important to their team's success. Whereas Paul George, like obviously gets to lean on Kawhi in a way that those other guys don't like, because, you know, you can say whatever you want about Jamal Murray and Ben Simmons. They're not Kawhi. Um, so that's probably where I'd land, top three behind those two. And listen, you look at the league and you've got Giannis, you've got Tatum, like you said, you've got Embiid, you've got Durant, you've got Kyrie. I mean, you have a lot of talent. The Lakers guys, I do. was just about to say, Anthony Davis and LeBron. And then, of course, you've got different guys all over the place. I mean, you look at what Phoenix does. You're expecting big years from Booker and CP3, and you're not getting as much there. And, of course, you have Lillard. I mean, there's talent all over the place. Luka. I mean, I how do you mention him? It's because yeah, they're six and six. An MVP pick. Yeah, I mean, Luca's six and six, and I mean, they're they're not where everyone thought they were. I mean, the Clippers are ten and four. People don't understand that the Clippers have the second best record in the NBA as of this taping. I mean, you look at the Bucks; they're playing tonight, so they could tie them. But the Clippers are ten and four. I mean, this is a damn good team, and I think there are a lot of expectations for this team. But right now, I mean, we'll we'll close it with this: this is a team that people have to be happy about. You're happy with where this team is, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, just because they lost to Dallas by 50, it's taken some time to move past that. Um, And it was, it was an aggressively bad day. (laughs) Like there's no getting around that. So I think if you just remove that one day from the regular season, like the Clippers are exactly where you thought they were going to be. Yeah. Perhaps better. Yeah. All right. Promote yourself before you go. Where can people find you? Where can they read you? Yeah, so all of my work is on Twitter at SabrinaJM, and you can find me covering the Clippers at ClipsNation.com. Sabrina, thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. A big thanks to Sabrina for hopping on. Enjoyed having a little Jeopardy talk in there. Of course, Clippers basketball. She does a great job, so go read her stuff, follow her. She's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, We're going to talk about the Clippers, obviously, all season long, but it's always fun to get a little Jeopardy in there every once in a while. All right, folks. Listen up, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. You heard me. Take a look in the mirror. Guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking perfectly clean. Okay, you've had that moment where you've looked and you've been looking, you've been talking to somebody. You notice that nose hair sticking out of their nose. You don't want that to be you. You don't. You want to look great. And how do you do that? 
Manscaped, forever changing the grooming game with their Weed Whacker. Nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. The only nose hair trimmer on the market with a powerful and rechargeable lithium-ion battery that lasts for up to 90 minutes of use. Have you ever pulled your nose hair out with your fingers? I know you have. That might hurt worse than nicking, you know, your private parts. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to, delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code HOOPBALL20. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds. All right. So what we have coming up for the Los Angeles Clippers is a stretch of games where they need to put together a group of wins. I mean, it's as simple as that. Before we talk or before we talk, yeah, when we talk to you next, I want to see a couple more W's, okay? We're going to be going, by the way, to two podcasts a week, so we will be consistent with that. I know you want to have a little consistency. Know you're going to get one on the weekend and one midweek. The Los Angeles Clippers have Sacramento on Wednesday, OKC Friday and Sunday, and then Atlanta on Tuesday before you take on Miami. Four games in a row where you should get four wins. We'll see how they do. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. Review it as well. Wherever you download your podcast, Apple Podcasts, where you can rate and review. Big thank you to you, the listeners, for continuing to support the podcast. It does mean a lot. You can follow me on Twitter, at BDMarcus. You can follow the Hoopball Clippers podcast on Twitter, at HoopBallClips. Feel free to hit me up whenever you want on at BDMarcus. Tell me what you think of the show and what guests you might want on. So until next time, a big thank you to you, the listeners, for listening. Until next time, go Clips! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.